to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians in chapter 3 together this morning. 2 Corinthians and chapter 3, if you would join together in the Word of God. For you have a copy of God's Word with you today. It's wonderful to have the Word of Life. It gives us strength. It gives us life. And mark it up and take it home. Pray over your Word until you find that God will illuminate you with His Word of Life. Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, and if you're there with me, would you read it together, what the text says, together now. Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And it goes on and says, but we all, with open face, be holding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. When you walk by a supermarket, window, anything like that, what do you see in the window? If the sunlight's shining kind of at an angle, what do you see when you walk by a window? Yeah, you see a reflection, okay? So you look at a piece of glass today, not even a mirror, just a piece of glass, and in the right angle, that piece of glass reflects an image. You walk up to a supermarket, you walk up to those doors, and you see a reflection. You can see through the glass if you're looking at the right angle, but often the sun is shining in such a way that you see a reflection of your own body as you approach. You see a reflection of the cars going by behind you. And the Bible is giving for us here a parallel, a picture of how it says, but we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Beautiful passage. I love verse 17. Now the Spirit of the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is strife. Is that what he said? No. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. My friend, there's liberty. Uh, when we love Jesus, we love his word. Whatever God says, we will do. Um, if we be honest today, though, uh, there's a lot of parts of the Bible that we ought to just cut out because we don't believe them. Okay? We ought to just cut them out because we don't believe them. Uh, we get upset when people mess with the Word of God, and I get upset rightfully when people mess with the Word of God. Uh, many people today have messed with the Word of God and removed things from the Word of God. That's, that's a sin. The Bible talks about that in Revelation. But the truth is that we have a copy of the Word of God, and often we just don't believe certain parts of it. Because it doesn't fit the way we live in life. Um, you say, what parts of the Bible do we not believe? Oh, remember that one time you heard a message about something and you go, uh-uh, that part, uh-uh, I don't like that one. Whatever that one is, okay? That's the part you don't believe. Now, have we heard things from the Word of God that were not biblical preached? Well, of course we have. There's an element of error uh, often, and sometimes that happens. You say, should we throw everything out because of that? No. But my friend, we ought to look at the Word of God, we ought to study like the Bereans, the Word of God. And when we find out that what is being taught is what the Word of God teaches, it ought to encourage our hearts, and it ought to make us want to strive to be in unity, to have liberty, to be in unity behind that theme, to be behind that vision. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, the Spirit of life and light will prevail. Let's join together in prayer. Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for the life and the light of the Spirit of God. 
Pray and shine that upon us today. And help us to see Jesus, who he is, and what he wants to do in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would use each of us to make a difference. Lord, to make a dent in our corner. To, to shine in our corner. To make a difference wherever you've placed us. On our street, in our town, in our community, on our job. Lord, that we would make a difference. May those around us want to see our Jesus. Lord, may those around us be changed because of our Jesus. Thank you so much for the spirit of life and the spirit of light. Pray that you would shine the Holy Spirit upon us today. We might see and be changed, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. God wants us to be changed. The spirit of life and light. Don't you like bright sunny days? Some of you guys might like cloudy days. I prefer the sunny days. Um, I was even doing discipleship this week, and I took my hat off because I do when I pray. And when I pulled my hat off, I forgot to put it back on. And later, my wife said, dear, you have bug eyes. And I had sunglasses, little, I mean, I was bug-eyed up, okay? And my nose was red, and my forehead was red. And uh, I enjoyed that sunshine, but you know, uh, the sunlight kind of changed my winter complexion a little bit. And uh, it transformed me a little bit because the light, I was around the light, I looked a little different. When we're around the light, we ought to look a little different. And I love uh, the beauty that God has created all around us here today. If you look in a mirror, what is the purpose of a mirror? Can you help me out today? What is the purpose of a mirror? To see what? To see yourself. Okay. What is the purpose of a mirror? I mean... Why do we put mirrors in our houses? To scare us. <laughs> I love that. So you can see your reflection, right? Who wants to go to school, right, with their shirt inside out? Okay? Who wants to go to school uh, with their collar turned backwards, right? You want to make sure. That you have your shoes on the right way. Right, girls? That's kind of a magical thing in our house. Somehow, you even hand the child the shoes and you put them right in front of them. You're like, here you go, Lucy, here's your boots. And magically, they go on the opposite feet. Not sure how that happens, but it, it happens, right? <laughs> the mirror is to help us see the difference. To help us see where things need to be changed. We also put mirrors in our house for something else. Um, and we enjoy living in the parsonage house. But look, that's the living room. It's the smallest living room of any house I've ever lived in. And uh, so that means it gets very dark. And so this year I got a little idea. My wife suggested uh, that we put mirrors up. And so I went out and found her some mirrors. And wouldn't you know it, you just buy glass to put in the window. I had a window and I busted out the uh, glass and I put mirrors in the window. But uh, it took me to the second hardware store before I found the cheap glass was at. And I had already spent my fortune at the first hardware store on the mirror glass in that place, okay? Little tiny squares of mirror. And then you go to the other place, and he says, it will be uh, $10 for all of that glass. I'm like, oh, thank you. The other place was about 50 okay? Um, and so I got the glass, stuck it in there, and uh, you know what? It looks a lot different. It brightened up the room where there was darkness because the mirror reflects the light. Mirrors are a beautiful thing, and God is saying when we look into his word, 
it ought to bring about a transformation in our life. The spirit of life and light has been sent to bring the glorious gospel to the world and to brighten every corner of our hearts. I thank God for the spirit of life. The spirit of life. Aren't you thankful for the spirit of life? Man, it's a glorious thing. Walk in in darkness. And then Jesus shines the light of his word and we say, I turn to Christ, turn from my sin to the Savior. It's a glorious thing when the Lord illuminates our life and the spirit of life and light is sent and it brings the glorious gospel. It brings about a change. It brings about a transformation. My friend, don't let your view of Jesus be tinted or be hindered because somebody didn't get lightened up after they got around Jesus, okay? Don't let your view of Christ be contaminated by a dim light, okay? Uh, there's dim lights everywhere. Uh, Judas was a dim light. Uh, he didn't have any light. And my friend, don't let a dim light obstruct your view of Christ. He is altogether lovely. He is altogether beautiful. And when his life and his light comes into our life, it brings about a transformation. Let's look first this morning as we go in this text, these first two verses... Then we're going to jump on into chapter 4. First, let's look at the visible change within the believer. It says, but we all with open face, open face, open face. You say, what does that mean? It means exactly what it says. There's the closed face, okay? Like around the time of year, October 31st, right? People put these things on over their face. And you don't know who's coming to your door. And you don't know what they're doing. And they look like somebody completely different, okay? Um, we have a modern version of that, but um, that just came out last year. But we now have a completely hidden the view of humanity, okay? And he says we come with an open face. That means we pull the mask off. We pull off what's covering things up. And the visible change within the believer is that we all with an open face, so we pull off the things that are hiding us from viewing God, openly we look at the mirror of God's word and say, Lord, what do you want me to say? See, that's how this Bible comes into our heart. We read the Bible, we listen to the Bible. If you struggle reading, I encourage you to get audio Bible, listen to it on your phone. There's so many ways to listen to the word of God today. And... You listen to the Word of God, the Word of God, it comes into our hearts, and it brings about a change, a transformation in our life. Visible change. He says, for with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are, he says, unmoved. What does he say? What does he say, guy? Oh, he says change. Into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. The view of God that I have in five has dramatically been altered. The view of God that I had when I was 15 has dramatically been altered. You say, what does that mean? The God that I read of in the Bible is more holy and more pure and more upright and more just than I saw him 10 years ago, than I saw him 15 years ago, than I saw him 20 years ago. He wants me to be transformed. And so when I look at the Word of God, He's constantly saying, I want you to be transformed into my image. I want you to be more like Jesus. You say, uh, do we need a program to do that? No, my friend, we just need the Word of God. The mirror of the Word of God. So you say, what happens if I read the Word of God and no change comes about? 
is because we didn't come with an open face. We didn't come really uh, planning change, saying, Lord, what do you want to change in my life? Um, you find this in the Word of God, and I didn't realize this until I entered the ministry full-time. I had no idea why people decided they would always skip church. I couldn't figure that out. And then I started figuring it out, because now you go, there's certain things, if you touch on a certain sermon, you know who next Sunday will mention, okay? Uh, if you touch on something that the Bible says, you know the next week, certain people ain't going to be in the house of God because that thing is the thing they don't like in the Bible. And uh, my friend, you say, that's terrible. It's true. It's a reality. God's people vote with their feet. And the Bible says when we love the Word of God, we're changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So we open up the Bible and we say, God, what do you want to change? Anything goes. Anything that you say, I'm willing to change. Anything, anything more. A visible change. The liberty of the Spirit. We say, does anything go? No, anything doesn't go. We don't let the world be our standard. But anything in our life that doesn't line up with this book, we ought to change. Okay? And the problem is, we make up our own pharisaical standards for living that do not align with the book. And those are the way in which we guide our life instead of the Word of God. The liberty of the Spirit changes the believer into a deeper likeness to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. You know, have you ever heard of the Swiss watches? Beautiful things, right? If people would have been asked in 1968 which nation would dominate the world in watchmaking in the 1900s and into the 21st century, the answer would have been Switzerland. Why? Because... Switzerland had dominated the world in watchmaking for the previous 60 years. Swiss made the best watches in the world, and they were committed to constantly refine their expertise. It was the Swiss who came forward with the minute hand and the second hand, and they led the world in discovering better ways to manufacture the gears, uh, the earrings, and the mainsprings of the watches. They even led in the way of waterproofing techniques and self-winding models. By 1968, the Swiss made 65% of all the watches sold in the world. And they laid claim to as much as 90% of the profits. You just think about that for a minute. They had the market. But in 1980, however, they laid off thousands of watchmakers and controlled less than 10% of the world market. Their profit domination dropped to less than 20%. Between 1978 and 1981, within two years, they lost almost all their profit. 50,000 of the 62,000 Swiss watchmakers lost their jobs. Why? Because the Swiss had refused to consider a new development, the quartz movement. And ironically, invented by the Swiss, because they had no mainspring or knob, it was rejected. It was too much of a paradigm shift for them to embrace. And so the Psycho Quartz, on the other hand, accepted it, and along with a few other companies, became the leader in the watch industry. The lesson of the Swiss watchmakers is profound. The past was so secure, it was so profitable, it was so dominant, it was destroyed by an unwillingness to consider the future. It was more than not being able to make predictions. It was the inability to rethink how they did business. Past success had blinded them to the importance of seeing the implications of the changing world and to admit that the past accomplishment was no guarantee of future success. My friend, if we go 20 years as a Christian 
and it has been 20 years since we led somebody to Jesus Christ, we ought to rethink the way in which we communicate with those around us. Okay? Um, if we go 30 years, 40 years without leading anybody to Jesus Christ, we ought to have a paradigm shift where we say, these other people are seeing souls saved, and I'm not. What's wrong? We ought to go to the place where we say, what's wrong? Lord, help me to change because I want my family to be one to Jesus Christ. One reason we struggle with change is because we've not allowed the Lord or His Word to change anything in our hearts for a very long time. Unchanged. Unchanged. You say, what kind of change are we talking about? Um, more humility. More of a sweet spirit. Um, more of a heart to say, Lord, whatever you want to do, I will do it. Instead of I can't, I won't. Instead, it's going to be, Lord, I will, because you say a heart change. Secondly, this morning, as we look into our text, we're going to jump on to verse 1 of chapter 4. We saw the visible change within the believer. It's being changed in his image. Secondly, this morning, we see the resilience to the greatest tests. We all go through tests in our life. Look at verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, as we have received mercy, we faint not. Did you get given mercy? Did God give you mercy? By the way, every time somebody puts their faith in Jesus Christ, He gives us mercy, because nobody deserves to be saved. And so we put our faith in Christ, and Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for all of our sins, we put our trust in Him, and He gives us mercy. We don't deserve it. We didn't do anything to pay for it. We didn't do anything to earn it. He gave us a free gift. We received that gift. My friend, that is mercy. Aren't you thankful for the mercy of God this morning? We are in the north, but it's okay to say amen. All right? We have received mercy. But because we've received mercy, he says, we faint not. Would you say that together with me? Ready? Begin. We faint not. So many excellent teachers. We all have our favorite. But which one of those teachers has helped you preach Jesus to somebody else? All right? We keep to ourselves teachers having itching ears. We want to have a teacher that tells us it the way we want to hear it. But the question is, is that changing the way we live? Those friends that you're going to go for a walk with this week, those friends that you're going to work with this week, those friends you're going to hang out with, those friends you're going to see this week, do they know your Jesus and do they want your Jesus and do they want to be in your church? If not, why not? If not, why not? Okay? Resilience to the greatest test. We faint not. We faint not, verse 2, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. My friend, do the things of Jesus Christ move your heart to such a way that it actually hurts? That it actually hurts. That your heart actually hurts, and you don't know if it's going to bounce out of your chest, because you're that convinced about what you believe, and you're that convinced that those that you know have not accepted the truth of God's Word, and you want them to accept it. And it hurts you so bad in your heart, that your heart literally beats out of its chest. You can't know how to express it, but you say, I want people to have my Jesus. I want people to desire and to be resilient to the greatest tests, 
but I see people fainting and falling by the wayside, not wanting to endure. And like the parable of the soils, the seed never got planted in a good heart, and the cares of this life have rooted up the Word of God, and there's no fruit. There's no fruit. And there's no resilience. The plant has withered away. There's a form, but there's no fruit. Resilience to the greatest test. When you have a drought out in the Midwest, and it's wheat harvest, the wheat is growing during the summer, and then it's getting ready for harvest, you have a drought come through, there's a potential of losing all of the crops. Okay? Every farmer knows that there's the potential, if they get a hailstorm, if they get a windstorm, there's the potential they could lose absolutely everything, the millions of dollars that some of them have invested into their fields, they could lose it all in just one storm. They could lose it all in just one hot week. They could lose everything because of a weather change. And my friends, spiritually speaking, the plant of God's word that's growing in our heart, the seed of the word of God, must become resilient to withstand such a drought. Because if you haven't noticed, uh, the world is kind of pushing against the church. Have you noticed that? <laughs> you know that? I mean, we got people, man, my friend, that are not even Christians that are on the far left, way over here, and they're saying, by the way, this whole system, this electronic control system, is all about removing your rights to freedom of speech. It's re removing your rights to freedom to assemble. And we're talking about people that do not even believe in Jesus Christ. Who are openly saying, my friend, that what's going through legislation right now is the final straw to destroy our civilization and uh, to bring about the change. And you read about it in the book of Revelation, and it's all part of the plan in the book of Revelation. You see it coming right down the pipe. You say resilience to the greatest test was coming. Um, I believe the end times are here. I believe the end times are here. You say, but, I, 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 but Jesus is coming first before any trouble is going to come. I believe Jesus is coming. I believe in a pre-trip rapture. Some of you disagree with me about that. That's okay. We'll tear you down in heaven. But uh, I believe that the believers are going to be delivered from the great tribulation. But the Bible says all that live godly shall suffer persecution. And so we expect, because of what we've been taught, that we will not have to go through any trouble in this life because we've had the easy life here in America. And during the easy life, we didn't share our faith. We didn't bring our family to Christ. We simply lived the easy life. And now the end times are coming. We're going, uh-oh, wow, global control. Wow, they're going to shut everything down. Wow, my friend, they don't want any churches to ever meet. Okay, they don't. Uh, the Bible says it's going to become a time where you unless you receive the mark of the beast, you won't be able to do anything. You won't be able to buy yourself. Sounds very familiar to some things that they are planning and, and uh, conniving behind the scenes right now. You say that's not what it's about. That's right, but they're selling a bill of goods with some, a plan behind it. Okay? They're selling a bill of goods to bring in global control, to bring in the mark of the beast. You say, well, the mark of the beast come before the believers leave. Uh, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is going to come and take the believers. And he says we ought to live ready because he comes as a thief in the night. So you say, when's Jesus going to come? He could come right now. He could come tomorrow. He could come next week. He could come next month. He could come in 10 years. I don't know when he's going to come, but I'm supposed to live ready. You're supposed to live ready. Because Jesus is coming as a thief in the night. He's going to come and take the believers home to be with him in heaven, my friend. And the question is, what kind of resilience are we having right now? What kind of resilience are we having? 
The believer has resilience. And the apostle spoke of this. Because we receive the mercy of God, we have resilience. And he says we don't faint. We don't faint. But they've renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking, he says, in craftiness. So this uh, deceitful way of living. Now they're telling us, right, that uh, they're going to know, you know, they're going to know everything about what we do, okay? Would you like it? Let's just take a, take a little class for a minute. Topic change, okay? Would you like it if I knew everywhere that you went all week long, every week of your life? Would you like me to know that? Okay, probably not, okay? And, and you know me, the personal way. They're implementing a plan right now where everywhere you go, everything you do, every friend you hang out with in your living room, Somebody that you don't even know is going to know about that. Okay? You might think, well, I don't want to. Pastor, I don't want you to know. And look, uh, the truth of the matter is, sometimes people tell me where they are, and then, and then they're actually somewhere else. And uh, they think I don't know because they're in a small town, but I do. And it's kind of a funny situation. Uh, people say, I'm not going to go to the house of God today. Uh, blah, 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 blah. And then, my friend, if our, we want our loved ones to come to our faith, why do we spend time with our loved ones when the house of God's open? Okay? I, I don't understand that. It blows my mind. Um, my loved ones are out of state, and uh, they know when they come here, they're going to have to be in church with me because that's what that's what we do. We go to the house of God, we worship God. Um, but I guess there's a there's a dichotomy of this. It's a broken down. As believers, we have this division. We're going to be a witness to our loved ones by skipping church. Uh, I'm not sure how that works in the Bible. I can't find a verse to back that up. But um, it's kind of a biblical uh, dichotomy. Okay, it's part of the Bible. It's not believing uh, resilience to the greatest test. We're unwilling to stand for. Okay, so resilience is a characteristic of a believer. We faint not, okay? We've renounced the hidden things of dishonesty. We're not living a secret life, okay? Not walking in craftiness. He says not handling the word of God deceitfully. But he says we live with a good conscience. A good conscience is where you can tell somebody the honest truth, and it is the honest truth, okay? And uh, we often say, as a, in our culture, we say, well, the honest truth is, right? Everything else is that wasn't true. Uh, we say it kind of as a cultural cliche, but uh, we ought to say the truth all the time. Thirdly, this morning, if you look at the text, we see a satanic interference. A satanic interference. <coughs> Verses 3 and 4. The Bible says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is, in the, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Satanic interference. Satanic interference. Blinded to the gospel. He describes this time period, and really, the time period we're in right now, and my friend, the time period the believers were living in right then, where the gospel was going out, but the people were blind to it. Oblivious to the obvious. Oh, do we not live in a generation that's oblivious to the obvious, right? Uh, you can present information and uh, people refuse to even look at it, right? We live in a generation that's oblivious to the obvious, blind to what we see right before our very own eyes. Blinded, blinded to the gospel. He says the gospel, if it's hid, it's hid to them that are lost. It's hid. What is the gospel? The Bible says it is the power of God unto what? So he says it's the power that brings about salvation and I want that power in my family. I want that power in my community. I want that power in our church. 
I want the power of God to be transforming homes, okay? Uh, that's a biblical plan. But we see satanic interference. The God of this world, he says, blinds the minds of them which believe not. Just like we saw a few weeks ago, when the sower went forth to sow, he sowed the wheat, and somebody else came and sowed the tares. They sowed the weeds in the wheat. And they grew all these false plants that grew up and tried to overtake the wheat. And we see that happening today. Satanic interference. Look, if you would, two other references about this. John chapter 12 and verse 31. John in chapter 12 and verse 31. The Bible speaks many times of Satan and what he is like. Jesus had just spoken to his disciples shortly before he would die. He said, in verse, the voice came from heaven, okay, speaking to Jesus, and now verse 31, John chapter 12, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. If I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. Look in verse 35. Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk when you have light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not where he goeth. While you have the light, believe in the light, that ye may be children of the light. These things spake Jesus and departed, and did hide himself from them. Did hide himself from them. Jesus spoke the truth, and then he went into hiding. You said, why did he do that? One thing to recognize and understand is truth. Okay, he spoke to them. Look over here in Luke chapter 10. Another passage speaking of the devil. I think it's wonderful in church to turn in our Bibles the passage. You say, why is that so important? So that we see it, and we think about it, and during the week you can look it up and you mark it or something in your Bible. Luke chapter 10, verse 17. The 70 that Jesus sent forth here, here. It says, the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto, thy, unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over, over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding, in this rejoice not, for the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice, because your names are written in heaven. He speaks of Satan, and now Satan has power, but he says the power is limited because he gave them power over the demons. Power over the demons. Now we hear our missionaries, the Laodemus, over in Togo, and how they're dealing with demonic opposition in the church, okay? Uh, they're dealing with demonic oppression. They're dealing with demon activity. Uh, are we going to be so naive to think that that doesn't exist in America, okay? It exists in America. Demonic oppression. Uh, you say, Pastor, there's a child I have, a grandchild, a friend, a neighbor, and they just always seem to be possessed of something, okay? Uh, don't go around and tell them they're possessed of the devil. Okay? But that is an option. Okay, That is a possibility. There's a lot of things that we're dealing with today that are demonic in nature. You say, how does this come about? Uh, Satan is a very sneaky, sneaky soul. He has slid in truth with 
terror into our life. He does it through uh, all forms of media that we receive. He does it through printed things that we receive. He does it uh, through videos. He does it through technology. He does it through every means he can get his hands on, through the radio, through whatever he can do. He slips it in. But the devil wants to deceive. It's close to the truth, but it's not the truth. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, there's a possibility. If we understand the workings of the devil, there's a possibility that we could be listening to a Christian radio station and uh, there could be a false teacher on there that could be teaching heresy. There's a, there's a possibility of that, okay? Uh, there's a possibility that we could be hearing a sermon online. Uh, there's a possibility that it could contain false teaching that could mislead us away from the Word of God. There is that possibility, okay? When you look at all these cult groups, they use the Bible to back up what they say, but they just twist it, okay? So there's that possibility that we could hear something, and it could sound good to our ears, but it could be false teaching, satanic interference that could actually hinder us, it could hinder our families, and it could hinder those that we're seeking to with the Christ. So Satan is a very sneaky, sneaky foe. Fourthly this morning, though, this is where it gets great. We see there's an overwhelming purpose. I thank God there's an overwhelming purpose. I'm glad that we don't live for just this life. There's an overwhelming purpose. Verse 5, for we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. God commanded the light to shine out of darkness. You can think about that verse right there. God who commanded the light shine out of darkness. He says light shine. Illuminate. Bring the light of the gospel into everyone's life. God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has done what? Shine in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. My friend, I've heard some very, very, very powerful and very convicting sermons. And I remember hearing a sermon by Dr. Tom Farrell, and I remember the night I trusted Christ. And on that night, when I put my faith in Jesus Christ, on August of 2000, as I put my faith in Christ on that night, August 17th of 2000, I had already prayed the prayer before, I had already been baptized before in the church, but I did not know Christ as my Savior. There were several hundred other young people from our church in that same service that heard that same sermon that have henceforth left the house of God and have gone into the world and are living for the devil, my friend, and who never have known the truth, okay? We all heard the same sermon, okay? We all heard the same truth. And it was very powerful. It was very convicting. It was very uh, clear. The word of God was taught. But not all were saved. You understand? Not all responded. Not all were changed. The next night, many who had been saved the, the night before or got right with God on the 17th. On the 18th, they got right with God and surrendered to, to the ministry. And that was the night I surrendered to the ministry. And, and there was things God began doing in the lives of young people in the church. Things God began doing in the lives of young people around the world. By the way, you're going to have one of those prayer advances again this year. And it's going to be a wonderful time. June and July 22nd through 24th, if you'd like your young people to go. It'd be a great thing for them to go to. And then you hear the word of God preach. God stirs your heart. You're around a bunch of other young people, and you surrender to do the will of God. You surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ, to the overwhelming purpose 
It says, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus, the Lord. So, we receive the truth of the gospel, and it changes the life. And it brings about an overwhelming purpose. Believers ought to spend most of their week promoting the gospel. Uh, how much of your week, would you be honest? We can think about it. Don't say it. How much of your week do you spend promoting the gospel? You say, I have to promote the gospel. There's a lot of good ways to promote the gospel. Um, first, we could take the conversations we have with people around us, and we could turn them to Jesus. You say, how do I do that? Just get, get in the Word and say, Lord, help me. Lord, help me understand it so I can share it with somebody else. Lord, help me so I can be changed so I can help somebody else. And you know what he'll do? He'll do exactly what you ask him to do. And he'll illuminate your heart. And, and you say, how do I learn how to be a witness? Um, how did Paul learn how to be a witness? Did Paul attend a soul winning class? Come on. Did, did Paul attend discipleship? Did Paul attend a Bible institute? No, he just got a hold of Jesus Christ. Did David attend a Bible institute? No. Did David go to Bible college? No. He got with God. He got with the copy of the Word of God he had, which wasn't as much as we have today. Because it had not yet been written completely. And David got a hold of the truth of God, and the truth of God transformed his life, and he was changed, and he had an overwhelming purpose. He wanted everyone else to read Psalms 119 to know about his God. He wanted everyone else to know about his God. He said, many shall see and shall fear and shall trust in the Lord. Are you living a fulfilled life today? A fulfilled life. Monday is joyful for you. And when you go into the workplace often, and I remember people have time to do a Monday. I'm not sure what that means, okay? It's a Monday. Um, because it often happened because there wasn't much planning that happened on Friday or Monday, okay? Um, it's a Monday. Well, yes, things happen, okay? For me, it's a Sunday, okay? Um, but look, things happen in life that are unpredicted, and they usually happen at times that are probably the most inconvenient for us. Uh, are Mondays joyful days? If so, who gives you that joy? What gives you that joy? How about the rest of the week? You wake up on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, thinking about the Lord, and Lord, you're going to send somebody in my life today, and I want them to know about my Jesus, and I want them to see the joy in my life. If we were to take a survey of all the people you have known for the last 15 years, would that survey come back positive or negative about your attitude around them? The attitude we display in society directly relates to our walk with Jesus Christ. And uh, an overwhelming purpose, an overwhelming purpose. Paul said, I'm not talking about myself, I'm talking about Jesus and what he has done. To preach Christ, Jesus, is simply to be the servant of the Savior, giving out the same life that he gave to us. The question is, how much light is giving out? How much light is giving out? We said we need to let the light out. We need to. We can talk about it all week long. We can talk about it all year long. But we got to get it out. we got to get the light out. Are you part of a... I read this this week, and it was a great, a great article, and I want to read it for you. Are you part of a dead church or part of a thriving church? Thriving churches are full of regular cheerful givers. Dead churches are full of grudging tippers. Thriving churches have some noisy children. Dead churches are quiet as a cemetery. Thriving churches keep changing their ways of doing things. Dead churches see no need for change. Thriving churches 
can grow and grow so fast you can't keep up with people's names. In dead churches, everybody knows everybody's name. Thriving churches strongly support world missions. Dead churches keep the money at home. Thriving churches move ahead on prayer and faith. Dead churches work only on sight. Thriving churches plant daughter churches. Dead churches fear spending the money, the time, and the talent. Thriving churches welcome all classes of people. Dead churches stick to their own kind. Thriving church members read their Bibles and bring them to the house of God. Dead churches members seldom do. Thriving churches members enthusiastically support the ministries of the church. Dead churches have no ministries, only functions. Thriving churches members look for someone they can help. Dead church members look for something to complain about. Thriving churches members reach out and share their faith in Christ. Dead churches members don't have enough faith to share. God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts. God, get up. We get so excited. We say, Jesus, shine. There's light in my heart. I'm so excited about that. Well, then why doesn't any of you get out? Come on. Say, but I'm so glad I'm saved. Thank God, just point out, I'm saved. But I haven't, let's go on, I haven't told one soul about it in a hundred years. I'm saved. I fought every single spiritual leader God ever put in my life. I'm saved. I'm saved, bless God. But I got an attitude. I'm in control. I'm in control. Don't you dare change me. Don't you dare challenge the way I think. I know I haven't led my neighbor to Christ. I, I know I don't talk to them about Jesus, but my friend, uh, you like to come into church and sing the same four songs, pray the same prayers, hear the same sermon. The sermon should consist of you're doing a good job. Go. Lock the door. Do a good sermon. I'm doing a good job. Come back in the next week. Do the same thing all over again. That's called vain repetition, as they even do. Okay? And they should they think they shall be here or heard for their much speaking. Jesus addressed all of that. Just this morning I saw a post by an evangelist who travels the entire United States trying to help little churches find pastors. He's constantly sharing similar stories and similar requests. One he wrote this morning was as follows. Just this morning, he said. New Hope Independent Baptist Church of Rossville, Georgia, is seeking a bivocational pastor. The church is King James only and traditional in worship. The attendance is 11, all elderly at this time, but they're looking to grow younger with some help and some vision. They're debt-free. The facility can stand to be updated. There's plenty of potential for growth. Yes, there is plenty of potential for growth, as long as those 11 are willing to repent of the fact that they have lived a life that is so lifeless, a faith that is so faithless, that their grandkids and their kids don't want their faith. We live in this society that says, well, they just didn't want to hear it. How can that be true? They didn't want to hear it. Well, I read right here, God had commanded the light to shine out of darkness that shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. And look at this. Look at verse, um, at verse, chapter, move on to chapter 5, verse Seven. Chapter 5, verse 7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing, brothers, to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor, okay, we're talking about this resilience, whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him, for we must all appear before the, what does he say? Judgment seat of Christ, that every man may receive 
of the things done in their body according to that he had done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the, what does he say? Of the Lord we persuade men. But we are made manifest unto God. And I trust also they manifest unto your consciences. Paul uses the word conscience a lot, okay? He says, I want you to think and be convicted about the way you live. He says, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. You say, they don't want to hear my faith. That's right. Uh, quite frankly, there's, there are several people in my life, I had several people interacting with this week, that do not want my faith, okay? Uh, but, when the guy opened his mouth and started letting out a few words this week, choice words, when he saw something, he saw something, and, uh, and uh, he let out some choice words, and uh, he started to say, and then he, I'm so sorry, sir. Now, although he doesn't right now want my Jesus, we have a lot of positive conversations about everything in society right now. And although he and I are probably about as polar opposite on everything as we could possibly be, he understands that I believe very seriously what this word says. <coughs> and that I'm willing to live by it no matter what. Just as that little church in Georgia right now is looking for a bivocational pastor to come work his heart and soul away and hope and pray the church grows, but they're unwilling to admit that they have not changed. They have not, they have not let the word of God change them. The things shrunk. They're willing to admit that their families don't want the truth. Families don't want their faith, and they're willing to recognize maybe God's going to send them somebody to help them reach those that family and maybe that will involve them looking in the mirror of God's word and saying, Lord, what do you want to change? Because, Lord, I want growth in my life. I want to end my life with fruit to my account, even if it's one soul into the kingdom. I want fruit to abound in my account. And often, if we're not careful, one of our family members will get saved and we'll take the credit for it. I'm not recognizing that God might have used somebody else, okay, to win that person to Christ. God might have used somebody else to do that work. Hebrews 12 speaks about running our race, and we'll finish with this verse this morning. Hebrews in chapter 12 and verse 1. Hebrews in chapter 12 and verse 1. I love the book of Hebrews, and Paul speaks very clearly about how we ought to live our life, how we ought to run our race, an overwhelming purpose. He says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. And the sin which doth so easily beset us. I don't know what that is for you. God knows you know. If you don't know, ask God to show you. And let us run the, with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners, Against himself, lest you also be weary and faint in your minds. My friend, God wants us to see there's a great cloud of witnesses. There's people in this Bible who led souls to Christ. There's the people that brought us to Jesus. And God wants us to bring somebody else to Jesus. An overwhelming purpose. I want to take the light. I want to take the life of God that he has given to me. And I want to impart it to somebody else. Paul says we preach not ourselves, but Jesus Christ. Uh, would you think about this week when you're telling stories, when you're talking about things, and speaking of whatever's on your mind, pets, uh, people, 
Uh, whatever you're thinking about, and would you ask yourself a question, uh, when's the last time I talked about Jesus today? When's the last time I talked about Jesus today? Lord, help me to talk to somebody else about Jesus today. Help me to let my light shine today, Lord. Don't live a life of guilt, okay? You say, well, Pastor, I haven't for a while. Just say, Lord, help me to get back in line. Uh, Lord, don't live a life of guilt, okay? You say, but... We ought to all recognize, and by the, by the way, we ought to recognize that God wants us to use us to lead others to Jesus Christ. He said, go ye into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. And he said, to baptize and disciple them. My friend, this week, my wife and I, had somebody that's on our heart, went and lost a loved one. We went to go by, and I went to make a visit on him. And, and it was just encouraging, my friend, because the individual who has lost my life for three and a half years broke down in tears and started to speak to me about some things, and they are very close to coming in these doors. They've watched for three and a half years, and they're very close, and there were some specific things that they shared with me that encouraged my heart. I said, yes, thank you, Lord, for letting them say it so I could see there's some difference being made. That somebody is seeing that God's word changes lives. That somebody is seeing what God can do. And you know what, my friend? God wants to use his word to transform lives. But when you go to your neighbors and you go to your friends, they ought to be encouraged by your presence. And they ought to be rejoicing that you came. Because they know that although maybe you may see things differently than them, they know that you love your Jesus and they know that you love them. And that ought to be the story of your life. The light and the love of God is shining out of my life. My family needs Jesus. Your family needs Jesus. And you say, where does it end? My friend, uh, there's some siblings I'm praying against saved. There's some people in my family that are out of the house of God that I'm praying they'll get back in the house of God. And by the way, every time we're on a phone call, kind of just hint at it a little bit, and usually shut the conversation down real, real fast, okay? But, you know what? It's the truth. And they know it's the truth. I say, hey, you talking about going to church somewhere? Uh, Alright, have a good day. Okay, well thank you. Have a great day too. But be friendly, be kind, okay? And uh, look, you want to be the light. You want to shine the light. And now that every time I talk with certain individuals, I bring up a verse of scripture that I memorized and we talk about different things. Because I want the light to shine in your life. You say, how long will that take? I don't know. My friend, the more we let the light shine, it has a way of multiplying. It has a way of multiplying. We should never be content with church in our church, with not seeing new faces, not seeing new souls. We should be happy. If there's new names that we don't know, we ought to walk up to those people and say, uh, what's your name? I want to get to know you. I want to be your friend. And if you're new in here and somebody has, and you've seen people kind of shunning you, uh, please forgive me, forgive them. Uh, I've told a car people to not do that, but I know that some are doing that. And please forgive them, and uh, please forgive me. I'm seeking to, to follow the Lord and try to lead our people. Um, it's so selfish when people just sit there and talk to themselves and don't talk to the visitor. And uh, I'm praying that will change very soon, because that attitude right there kills churches. It's the thing, the thing that killed that church there in Georgia. It's the same thing that killed our church. I pray it changes quick. Because my friend, we got to have love. It says, I'm going to love Jesus. I'm going to take the light of Jesus to somebody else, and I'm going to care about the new people he puts in my life. He puts on my path. I'm going to love them and bring them to the kingdom. I'm going to thrive and I'm going to grow by the grace of God. I'm not living guilt. 
know wherever I got where things are messed up, I'm just going to say, Lord, help me to pick up the pieces and get me to your word and say, Lord, change me by the mirror of your words. That's all I want to do. I pray that's all you want to do. Just ask God to help us with that today. Let's stand together for prayer. Listening in from the Word of God this morning, I pray that your life is encouraged and transformed by the Word of God this week. Father, help us today. Help us as we are here in the house of God, Lord, the place that you have called house of worship. Lord, I pray that we would so become convicted, like when Josiah, the king, at eight years old, read the Word of God, and the people of God fell down on their knees and got right with God and said, Lord, the truth is, we've gone for generations and haven't done this stuff. We need to get right. Lord, I pray that that kind of an attitude would prevail, not just at Calvary Baptist Church, but Lord, at churches in this community, at churches all around the world. And Father, I pray that we would see souls saved, people baptized, people brought into the kingdom of God. And Lord, I pray for those who claim to be believers, who are actually upset about the thought and the concept of winning souls to Jesus Christ, Lord, I pray that you would bring such a holy conviction about them. And Lord, I pray that you would bring them under the conviction of the Holy Spirit that they would repent of such selfishness. And we ask you, Lord, to forgive them of standing between souls and the Savior. And Lord, I pray that we would have such a heart that says we want to win souls to our Jesus. And Lord, this community would hear the gospel and be saved. And Lord, souls would come in here and you would do great things as you want to do if we'll humble ourselves and pray, and seek your face. We'll privately get alone with God, and get right with God. It'll transform the way we worship God. Lord, I pray that you help each of us to do that today. Encourage, uh, I encourage each of you watching my way live stream and pray on your own closet live stream at this time. Your heads bowed and eyes closed right here in the house of God. Maybe you just join with me in prayer this morning. You say, you know what, uh, Pastor Dan, you know the truth is, uh, you know, I feel like things are pretty good. Maybe you feel like things are pretty good in your life. But you just be willing to admit with God that there's there's just some areas that maybe the Lord could shine a little more light into your life. And you would say, Lord, shine your light into my life. Lord, shine your light into my life. If that's your prayer, and that's the desire of your heart, would you join us for prayer down front as the piano begins to play? Lord, shine your light into my life. Transform my life. Transform my community. Help me bring somebody to Christ. Help me, Lord, make a difference. Lord, use me. Lord, use me. Lord, I want to.